Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 25 of the No Look Past podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son, who is making his co-host record while his team plays for a national championship, and my co-host with me, Andy Flint. Flint, what's good? Hey, full disclosure to everybody listening out there. If you hear a minor freak out, good or bad, it's just because of March Madness and the NCAA championship that just happened. Yep, you got a three point there, Villanova six point lead, about six minutes left. We're gonna we're gonna keep track of this game while we record. But we are gonna move on with our show. Today we are gonna go with while you're watching TNT, we watched the Memphis Grizzlies again. And we also wanna do some end of the year award announcements. But first we're gonna start with the outlet pass and um, if you've been paying attention to the news today, you've known that the Hall of Fame inductions were announced today. The Basketball Hall of Fame announces 10 inductees for the 2016 class, highlighted by Allen Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal, Yao Ming, Tom Izzo, and Cheryl Swoops. We wanted to congratulate the inductees, but also since they're from our generation where we really grew, grew up loving the game, started to watch the game, we wanted to give a quick memory of one of the inductees. Andy, who'd you pick? What's your, what's your memory of one of these guys? I I just want to say thank you to – the big Aristotle, Shaquille O'Neal, for so many good memories in, in actually being the reason I'm an Orlando Magic fan and kind of really bringing that extra interest that, you know, took me from being a casual NBA fan as a child to being a full-blown basketball fanatic. Shaq, you know, the larger-than-life persona, everything he did. I think every time he tore down a rim in a Magic jersey, I was just enamored as a kid. And, and that's what I always remember, just a big, dominant, lovable NBA player. Yeah, mine is actually also from Shaq. Uh, I remember the first year I got into the NBA was probably about 2000, 2001. So, you know, when Kobe and Shaq were together. And I just remember, like, Shaq just being the most dominant player I've ever seen in any sport, you know, because I was a baseball fan before that mostly and and sort of a football fan a little bit. Um, But, you know, it was really baseball. And I remember watching Shaq play, and it was just like I had never seen a single man dominate, you know, his peers just so badly as I watched Shaq play with Kobe and that Laker team in general. So it's definitely from Shaq, but I would, I just wanted to give an overall thought on, you know, the three guys, Iverson, Shaq, and Yao Ming. Unfortunately, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but when I think of those guys, I just think, like, each one of their careers could have been so much better. You know, Yao Ming with the injury, Shaq, if him and Kobe would have stayed together, how many more would they have won? And then Iverson, of course, is, is sort of, you know, probably just the wrong situation, you know, for him most of his career. And it, it just seems like each guy could have could have had so much more success for, for different reasons. You know, I think when you look at it, the, the great thing about, we'll call them the big three, for this draft class, uh, Shaq, Yao Ming, and Allen Iverson, it, the thing I really like is you're getting to look at three almost different and unique perspectives. Shaq is obviously the guy who has all these rings and the, the MVPs from the finals, these accomplishments. I think he's something like seventh on the all-time scoring list with like 28,000 points and some change. And then you look at Iverson, who was the guy who never really quite got to get that championship, but he changed the game and he brought that swagger and the, the apparel, the corn rolls, the, the sneakers. He brought that to the game and his contribution is much different than Jack's, but it's still great. And then Yao Ming is a third, you know, he revolutionized the game in, in Asia and in China. He had, you know, the injuries. We saw how great he could be. I like the three different looks at this, uh, this yeah. class, and I think it's well that's, represented. That's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. You know, it, it, it's just a, 
like you're saying, it's it's a very interesting thing. Of course, Iverson, um, Nate Nate Jones on Twitter, who who's a big basketball guy. I, most of you guys, I'm sure, follow Nate Jones, or you should be. Um, he asked who has more like influence over the new generation of players, Iverson or Kobe. And I think the assumption is that it's Kobe, but for me, I think it's a lot closer than people think. And I would almost lean towards Iverson as being like the influential figure that you know guys that grew up that are now playing in this era, they grew up kind of idolizing Iverson, I think, more more so than Kobe. I mean, obviously, there's there's Kobe stands out there, of course. But, um, I mean, I think you see a lot of AI in people's games, maybe even more than you see of Kobe. Yeah, I mean, I think that not only can you make that argument, I think it seems like the more plausible one at this point, being that we live in a, you know, smaller man's game. Obviously, these smaller guys today are much bigger than Iverson was back then. But, you know, it is more of that, that one. I mean, Iverson, as much as he was a, a two guard, was a one guard at the same time. And, and I feel like, the, you know, these point guards are, are more of the Iverson mold than the Kobe. And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely, and we just want to, again, congratulate everybody in, in the class. There is uh, former referees, you know, um, the former owner of the Chicago Bulls, Jerry Reinsdorf, he was on there. So we want to congratulate everybody, but we're going to move on. While you're watching TNT, we were watching the Memphis Grizzlies again because we love grit and grind and Andy hates rules. Uh, we caught them on a losing streak, and we ended with them on a losing streak. Loses a six straight with their playoff lives in the balance, but while we were watching them, they had losses to Denver, Toronto, and your Orlando Magic. What a coincidence. They were playing the Magic, and you picked them uh, while we were watching. Andy, how many games did you catch? First, first, I want to say that that hasn't happened in a long time. Uh, <laughs> second, secondly, I caught the uh, Raptors game, and I caught the Magic game. I don't watch the Denver Nuggets at this point. And that's that. What are they on? A, they're on a six-game skid, right? Be, and, and actually, the fun is we got to watch them actually more because we watched the Spurs and we saw two right. Memphis games there. Right. So, uh, first of all, you're missing out on the Denver Nuggets. They're a sneaky. They're like one of those bad but entertaining teams, sort of like the Minnesota Timberwolves, even though Timberwolves are way more entertaining. But um, I also caught the Magic game, and I caught part of the Toronto game, but like you're saying, I had two more games because we did watch the Spurs, so I caught both of those. Uh, Spurs Memphis games beforehand, but yeah, you're right. Six game losing streak in general. Give me a couple of general impressions of the Grizzlies. You know, I, I feel like we, I picked the Grizzlies because we had kind of talked about them last week a little bit uh, we, as we were talking about the playoff race. And, you know, I feel like the two losses to the Spurs at the end of that skid there was, or, you know, it was the beginning of our Grizzlies skid, but the end of our Spurs skid it was kind of like games you can get away with losing because you're playing the Spurs, but now they've lost to the Nuggets. They lost to the Raptors, who are a good team, and then they lost to the Magic. You know, you're losing to two teams. If you're a playoff team, you shouldn't be losing to in Denver and yeah, Orlando. Well, I didn't the watch Lakers. the Denver game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Lakers. So, just throwing that out. And while, and, while I, and while I didn't watch the Nuggets game, you know, the, the problem really is, and I can, I'll just look at all six of these games that I haven't pulled up here. The problem is, is Memphis – we used to see Memphis at the, as this defensive juggernaut. Even kind of in the shine of the faster-paced league, we kind of would see Memphis as like the, the team that would even the kill a little bit and just come out there and punch you in the face. And it, not so much anymore. I mean, if you look at all the losses, I think you gave up 100 points in the game except to the Raptors, who were consequently you know, the best team they played while we watched them. But 
and that goes back to the Spurs losses in, in the Lakers too. I mean, they're giving up over a hundred points a game. That's just not typical Memphis Grizzlies basketball. Obviously, they're hurting with the injuries. Uh, we don't even really need to go into that because we know it's it's there. Uh, you know, I, I'm worried. I'm worried about this team as we roll into the postseason. I, you know, I kind of thought. I didn't look ahead to the schedule, but I kind of thought since they, you know, took a couple on the chin to San Antonio closing out last week that they'd come into this week with a little fire in it. It just didn't happen. They fizzled. Yeah, we uh, we prematurely in, in our segment last week said that there was three te- or what four teams fighting for three spots. There might be five teams fighting for four spots because Memphis <laughs> is slowly uh, getting back and joining the pack. Um, I think they're a game ahead of Portland right now for the. They're in the five spot, a game ahead of Portland, who's in the sixth spot. But, you know, those other teams are, are not trailing too much, only a couple of games. There's only five games left, so it's not like, you know, that they have a lot of time to, to lose out their playoff spot. But I'm glad you brought up the defense because that, that's the weird thing about this team. They're like the this new version of the Grizzlies with all the injuries. First of all, they, they look like the NBA version of the NFL veterans combine. Remember that thing that the NFL tried to try out where they just had like a bunch of dudes trying to make a comeback? That's what the Memphis Grizzlies roster looks like right now. They have about like four guys that I didn't even know were even playing basketball anymore. And But as far as the grit and grind, it's like they're the grit and grind team because they do have a lot of those grit and grind kind of guys, like, you know, Birdman, Anderson, Zebo, of course. You know, even a guy like, uh, you know, you got Tony Allen, Lance Stevenson sort of fits that mold too. They're like that team just without the talent and without the defense. It's like if the grit and grind team wasn't good, that, and that's this team. Because I, I feel like they do have that same mentality, but they just don't have the talent to match it. Yeah, I, you know, this team is it's kind of like the uh... – missed and while the league evolved this team just kind of was like nah <laughs> yeah we called them the knuckleball oh, pitcher that, that's I, I remember that's what i called yeah. them you know when we watched them the first time they're like the, they used to be the knuckleball pitcher of the of the nba all these teams wanted to go fast and memphis was like no we're just gonna throw it in the zebo throw it in the gasol and, and run our sets and score 80 points a game and hold you to 79 that's where we're gonna win games but uh, i don't know if that works anymore I mean, they were kind of like the relative that shows up to every family function. He's always invited year after year, or she. It can't just – it doesn't have to only be a guy. And, you know, they, they eat up all the good snacks, and they drink up all the liquor, and they act obnoxious, but they still get an invite every year, and that was Memphis because Memphis refused to do what everybody else was doing, but they still showed up for the playoffs. And they're going to show up again this year, but I, I almost feel – I'm worried. Like, I, I feel like they're definitely looking down the barrel of that first-round elimination at this point. Yeah, it'll be curious in the playoffs, and I want to get to that that too because that, that's sort of my elephant in the room question. But first, I want to shout out some some of these no names. So I, I got to shout out my man Xavier Munford. I didn't even know who you were until a week ago, but my man was on a ten day contract and was like, if I only get ten days in the league, best believe I'm getting these shots up because I watched this dude come into the game within like five minutes. He had my shots up, I swear. <laughs> I, I, and I love guys like that. Like you know, you're gonna tell your grandchildren like, you know, I played twenty twenty days in the NBA on two ten day contracts and I got. 50 shots up because that's how I rock. So shout out to Xavier Munford. And also I'm mad at every one of my friends who didn't tell me Jordan Farmer was back in the NBA. Just every single one of you. I can't believe I didn't know. Do you see his new hair? (laughs) Do you see his new hair? He looks like, he looks like Ricky Martin, uh, circa 1999 TRL. Yeah. No. (laughs) <laughs> My man Jordan Farmer used to rock those waves with the LA Lakers. Not not anymore. Uh, the other thing we got to no. get to, of course, is, is our boy. 
Lance, Lance making him dance. The Lance resurrection is here. Uh, we just passed Easter. My man Lance just went into the tomb with the Clippers, came out as a Grizzly, and all of a sudden he's just Lance again. You can always tell when Lance is focused because he attacks the rim for one, but also he's very aggressive defensively. And I think that's two things that when Lance is not really feeling like doing much, you know, when he's unhappy, he sort of settles for jumpers and he kind of gets lackadaisical on defense. That's the two things I've found about Lance Stevenson. But let's just let's just have a quick discussion about our boy Lance here. What what, what do you think of him as a Grizzly? Uh, you know, here I you know, I think he's you know kind of coming around with the Grizzlies. Obviously, the opportunities are skewed given what's going on. But I mean, I I feel like he's making most of, a lot of these games. He's only playing twenty some minutes, and uh, you know he's hovering right there somewhere, probably around like. 11, 12 points a game. But I, the interesting thing with Lance Stevenson is, is I noticed the same exact thing with you, and I have since the Indiana Pacers days. Like, you – I think, like, if the coach approaches him, no matter what coach, because he's had, like, five of them in the past two years now, when when they approach you, uh, the child gloves, and they kind of say, Lance, man, like, we need you. Like, th- what you do dictates – and they used to do that in Indiana a little bit. There used to be, like, a sense of – I remember uh, – there used to be a lot of talk of like this team is as good as Lance Stevenson plays. And you know, right. it kind of was true. He was kind of like their X factor and it's kind of like, you have to, you got to pump this guy up. Like he's that guy who, you know, everybody played a sport with growing up who was just like the ultimate talent was kind of a baby. And you know, if, if you weren't, not only did you have to like let him get his shots or his reps or whatever, but you also had to acknowledge when he did something well, like, yo, Lance, that was a nice spin move down there. Like, you know, if you don't, he goes back and huddle. He's like, man, nobody even noticed I did that six spin move, and I put him in the cycle. I over-dribbled, and then I, I scored, though. And, like, you, you have – like, right. it's the positive reinforcement, and you have to just let this guy know that he's doing well. And you're right, he does. If he's getting the shots and he's getting – and the team are, like, high-fiving him, he's out there dean guys up, blowing in people's ears, untying – I mean, he's doing whatever he wants. And, and that's the Stevenson you need. You kind of need him to be a little bit of a goon. I mean, nobody was telling Ron Artest to stop back in the day. I think we, we you have to – Lance Stevenson is the, the ultimate player who is totally dictated by his coach. And I, I think that, you know, that happens more often than people really realize in, in sports. But he, he's that guy, and he'll let you know because he's going to let you know when he does like the situation. You know what Lance is? He's the perfect, and every team needs one. We always talk about this, is every team needs a crazy guy. And Lance is your perfect crazy guy because if you, like you're saying, if you coddle him, if you, you know, like a Dennis Rodman, Ron Artest, same, same kind of thing. You know, if you coddle him a little bit, you give him a couple of looks, you know, you tell them that you need them, all of a sudden they're going to do great things for you because they have the talent to do so. You know, he's not like the other kind of crazy guy you need on your team sometimes. If you don't, if you can't have that guy, he's like the goon, you know, just the crazy guy that's going to come in for 10 minutes and just, like, mess the whole game up and just start throwing fouls. That's maybe a little more old school. But you're right, Lance is totally that guy. He's. It's always weird how these tough NBA guys, which – Lance is crazy, but he's also like Lance is a tough guy. Lance always wants to fight somebody. It seems like he's very aggressive. You know what I mean? So it's funny how these tough guys are so sensitive at the same time. It's really a strange balance. But I have a very important question for you. Uh, what are the chances of the Lance Stevenson Tony Allen locker room showdown? Can we even get odds on it? Because it's just it's going to happen. Whether it's this year in the playoffs, next year if Lance returns, I mean that's just an inevitable thing, right? I mean, you know, like, 
I feel like Tony Allen is that ultimate kind of no BS guy. Like, you know, if Lance is messing up, Tony Allen's going to be the one to be like, you know, because they play the same positions and stuff. But Tony Allen's going to be like, listen, man, like I, I ain't got time to listen to about what you think you can do, your theories, you know, things of that nature. Like Tony Allen's not going to listen to it. And, but I, I, in the same sense, I feel like Tony Allen's also like real enough to kind of respect what Lance Stevenson does at the same time. <laughs> so I almost wonder if Tony Allen is going to be more of an enabler than, than oh, anything. Maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he loves it. Yeah, they're going to be out there like the Bushwhackers wearing the camo pants, doing the weird arm stuff, and just DDTing people all day. I did not consider that. I did not. You, you know you might be right. So on that note, we're going to get to the elephant in the room question, which is would this be the weirdest playoff team ever? Especially if Mike Conley – I'm trying to decide whether they'd be weirder if Mike Conley returns or if he's still on the bench because I feel like – I don't know, like, how this team is even going to be in a playoff series. Where do you go? You go, like, Zebo. Like, Zebo gets, like, 30 minutes a game and 30 field goals attempts. Is that is that what we're doing? I don't even know. I mean, and if that's the case, Zebo is going to give us his best uh, Danny Glover from uh, Lethal Weapon. He's too old for this shit. I mean, I, I just – I Memphis, I don't know if they're the weirdest – and maybe they are like this is the weirdest version of Memphis you've seen in the playoffs for certain. I I mean, sure. But I think some of some of the same things because you're right. You were saying it earlier. They do still play with the grit despite not quite having the effect on the court. So I, I right. think it'll be interesting to watch them in the playoffs. But yeah, it's it's going to be a weird team. Yeah, yeah. Dave Yeager's going to go up to Zebo and be like, "Yo, Zebo, we need 40 minutes a game for you in the playoffs." And Zebo's going to be like, "What?" Bro, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> He's got to. My man Zebo does not have that in him anymore. But with that, we're going to move on to the postseason awards. As we know, the NBA season is sort of winding down. So in that, we're going to sort of go through the awards, you know, the most popular awards, and get and give our predictions of who we think is going to win. Maybe not necessarily who should win, but who is going to win the award. Um I'm going to start with MVP just because I'm going to assume that we both have Steph Curry because if you don't have Steph Curry, we're just going to scrap all the other awards and have a 10-minute discussion about why you don't. But I got Steph Curry. Who you got? Uh, I I have Steph Curry. Um, oh, okay. I, I do want to I do want to say to all the folks at home that I I feel like uh, Russell Westbrook and Kawhi Leonard any other year are, like, legitimately in the thick of it. I mean, in the last, like, few years I can remember, they would have been all over that discussion. But this year it's it's a blowout. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point in, in naming other guys because I, I think the most intriguing part about the MVP award is, who's, is who wins second because I think that that's an interesting race. Like, you brought up Westbrook, you, you bring up Kawhi. I mean, there's, there's plenty of other guys who, who have a legitimate case. And, and I'll be curious who, who does get the second second place award. Next word, we're going to go rookie of the year because I also think that we have the same person. I have Carl Anthony Town. Uh, my fans putting up like 27 and 10 every night and nearly carried my fantasy team to a championship thanks to my Nets who actually decided to rest every single player that I own on my horrific team. You know, they cost me a fantasy championship, but I'm not better. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, who you got? Uh, we're riding that Carl Anthony Towns train all the way to the station. While again, I mean, when you put up 18, 10, and almost two blocks, uh, two blocks a game, we're keeping that award in mini, uh, in Minnesota. But just past Porzingis and Jaleel Okafor both put up, you know, great statistical seasons, uh, 14 and seven and 17 and seven, respectively. 
And, you know, I, I think that, that we have a really good rookie cast, but it's definitely Carl Anthony Towns. Absolutely. So a quick update on the uh, national championship game. Andy's Villanova Wildcats are up by one point with one minute remaining. So we uh. might end the show with just, uh, Andy just dying on, on, on the air. So uh, we're going to move on to maybe some awards that we don't have the same guy for. Uh, most improved player. Uh, who'd you go with for most improved player? I just lost my train of thought. Um, my <laughs> my most improved player, I did not lose my train of thought, is one trailblazing fella named C.J. McCollum. Uh, 20 points, four assists, three rebounds. If that's not the most improved player, I don't know who is. I would agree because I guess we're going to say the same. I also have C.J. McCollum, um, as you said, the point increase, but also – you know, it, it's sort of the point increase can be a little skewed because that is contributed by an increase in minutes and also an increase in usage, which both have gone significantly up for him. But I also the thing that kind of put it over the top for me because I think there there, there were other guys that deserved the award, maybe like a guy like Will Barton I thought was was worthy. But uh, CJ McCollum also a better three point shooter than he than he's been in the past, over forty percent at forty one point seven percent, which is an incredible number. Um, especially if you're going to be on a team with Damian Lillard. So, C.J. McCollum, most improved player, I agree. Next, we're going defensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year. That one for me is staying in the same spot as well. That's Kawhi Leonard. (laughs) Oh, no. I also have Kawhi Leonard. Top five in defensive rating, top five in defensive win shares, a couple of steals a game, and usually has to guard the team's, uh, the opposition's best defender or best uh, offensive player. So, uh, I, I would agree Kawhi Leonard is the defensive player of the year. Let's see if we can disagree here a little bit because I think we might. Uh, coach of the year. Coach of the year. I, I guarantee we disagree. I have Dwayne Casey. Final wrap. Oh. Why, why I, I think Casey? keeping – I mean, I think keeping pace uh, – okay, so, you know, I thought long and hard about uh, Greg Popovich because I really like what the Spurs did despite – the terrific season by the Warriors, the Spurs hung in there having the great record, the the home victories. But to me, Toronto wasn't really viewed as the team who was going to keep pace with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the East. And I think a lot of that obviously has to do with Cleveland failing a little bit, but the the Toronto Raptors are what, three and a half games behind the Cavs at this point. And and they had a terrific season. I mean, they're getting the two seed, but I really think, you know, a, a team who we didn't necessarily think was going to be this good being this good is a big deal. It's a quality argument because we, we've had this discussion numerous times, especially in the beginning of the season, who was going to be that second team, you know, to challenge the Cavaliers. And we went around with the Pacers, you know, with the Heat, with the Bulls. And I think that team is going to end up being the Raptors. And I think Dwayne Casey is obviously a big part of that team that overachieved. And a lot of, you know, during Toronto's run kind of in the Lowry era, a lot of people were saying maybe Dwayne Casey isn't the right guy for this job because of their playoff struggles. That being said, I am not going with Dwayne Casey. Uh, I have Terry Stotts out of Portland. Uh, this team is a playoff team. They're not. They're not a playoff team. So, I mean, I think you, you have to – whenever a guy does a great job with less talent, I, I always sort of give him the nod over other guys, especially, you know, it's easy to give the award to Pop, which obviously Pop is deserving of the award every year. We can call it the Great Popovich Award if we wanted to. Um, but can you – I mean, can you give it to Kerr considering he was out for the first – you know, what, 20, 30 games, something like that. So it's kind of hard to give it to him. So in that, I sort of find a guy that did let, did more with less. And in that, I found Terry Stotts, especially, as you know, 
Portland was a team that I was not really high on in the preseason, so I think maybe I give them more credit because I thought they were going to be bad and then they were good. So that's that's why I went with Terry Stotts. But I'll tell you, Dwayne Casey for me was kind of like my almost my last minute guy. Like I had him, you know, his name was written down, and and I was thinking I was going over things and. I Brad Stevens was the guy I was really looking at hard. I do want to shout him out. Um, I think Boston did a terrific job, and you know, Boston was interesting because there was a lot of people who thought Boston would be really good at the beginning of the season, and then there was a lot of people who just didn't think they would be very good, and it was like completely split. As where I think Toronto was more of a like, yeah, they're going to be pretty good, but how good? I, so I think Boston, me being one of the the people who didn't really see them, you know. As a three or a four seed, I, I kind of felt like they would be, you know, more in the seven to eleven area. So, you know, it, when a team does that well and they seem to have Golden State's number a little bit, I saw a funny cartoon meme of Isaiah Thomas putting Steph Curry in like a camel clutch. I cannot even believe what just happened right now, though. That, that was a double, literally I'm, a double I'm gonna check clutch. Out. Yeah, a, a double clutch three uh, for North Carolina to tie that. the game against Villanova, and uh, Andy is, I said he might die, and I thought I was exaggerating, but I don't think I was. So we're going to go with sixth man of the year. Uh, I went with Andre Iguodala. Uh, I think the team that breaks the record, presumably, has to have at least two awards, and plus he's somehow still underrated on this team despite winning the finals MVP last year. It's a little more of a gut call than a number call because his numbers are a little stagnant. I guess you could say maybe the same as last season or probably a little bit worse statistically, um, but I mean, I think him and, and Draymond Green really are the, the soul of this team, and I think they kind of go as those two guys go emotionally, so that's why I went with Andre Iguodala. Uh, I went, I, you know, I actually lost that pick. Um, I wasn't even something I thought of, and I kind of feel bad about that now, actually. I went for the glamour. Um, <laughs> we're going to go down to the bayou and talk about Ryan Anderson. My oh. boy, 17-6. You know, and the thing with Anderson that I really like is the fact that he is kind of like the prototypical guy you want to play a power forward position in today's league. And especially sure. to have that as your sixth man, being that he's such a good scorer. And don't sleep on the guy rebounding. I remember, uh, you know, when he played in Orlando early on in his career, that guy was a heck of a rebounder for, for a dude who spent most of his time shooting threes. And, you know, I always feel like a guy who can bring you elements of, you know, the, the deep shot and being able to get in there and, you know, clean up the glasses is always, you know, valuable. But I think he's had a terrific season, and I think he was kind of one of those players that a lot of us were starting to be like, well, he's good, but can he stay healthy? And, you know, can he actually contribute? And, I, you know, I think with the the horrific amount of injuries that the Pelicans have have dealt with this season, and Anderson obviously being some of those, <laughs> he's had a season, so. He's my yeah, and, and Ryan Anderson has the exclusive club of, of actually being on both the Nets and the Orlando Magic, so he obviously holds a special place in our heart. But we are going to move on to the end of the show. Every week, as Jay-Z once said, we don't believe you, you need more people, and every week somebody fits just that mold. Andy Flynn, who needed more people this week? I think it's Nick Young now. Like, this whole... Oh, no! How'd you get... Has somehow... That was my answer. I thought I had a sleeper pick oh. here. Keep going. I thought I had a sleeper pick too. I think it's somehow like it, it shifted gears because people are like, wait, 
Cheating is cooler than snitching? Oh, my God! Is that a Chips, win? baby. Oh, that's a game winner. Yeah, baby. That is a game winner for ah, Villanova. you got to wow. be kidding me. What but a yeah, shot. Yeah, Nick Young, you need more people. Yeah, Nick Young definitely needs more people. The Villanova uh, Wildcats do not need more people because they're national championships. I also went with Swaggy P. You got exposed for cheating on your girl, and you're the one that's basically getting kicked off the squad. Nah, bro. You need to hold this L real quick for me, Mr. Young, as Jay-Z would once tell you. Well, we don't believe you. You need more people. Andy, would you like to vent for about uh, 45 to 60 seconds about what just happened in the Villanova game and what you're going through? I told all you UNC fans from the jump. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, UNC played a heck of a game. They had a heck of a tournament. I thought these were the best two teams when it came down to it. Although Oklahoma, I was very scared of too. Um, it's been a great tournament. It's probably the best tournament that I, I can recall watching. I mean, the, the seating was all crazy. There was, you know, no, besides Kansas, real powerhouse-looking teams. This game here is the craziest thing I've ever seen, that double pump three to this deep, I, I can't even believe what I just saw. Like it, it's nuts. I'm out. I'm out. All right. No of a chance, baby. We're gonna let Andy rejoice, but before he goes, I want to tell you that we were watching the Golden State Warriors, who also we watched for the last week of the season, um, so we can see if they break the record. We're gonna talk all Warriors next week, and we're gonna look forward to the playoffs. But with that, that is the end of our show. We will end like we do every week with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams. But first, we want to ask you to tune in next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Like I said, we will be closing the season. But as the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams once probably thought, basketball is a lot like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night. <laughs>